0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective 2020 on Vision We're going to talk about how the Gospel
1: shapes culture and what's happened to Australia, perhaps even over the past 200 years. I wonder whether you think it is important for a Christian to be thinking about how our culture is being shaped. And if we can recognise that the shape is being distorted to a point where it no longer resembles its Christian foundations, that we might have a responsibility to work more diligently for a better shape of the culture. Well, some might argue that it's the job of the pastor or the priest at your local church. But what about the challenge of transforming our communities and our nation through our vocations? Ordinary people like you and I Shaping the culture in our families and in our workplace. Are we doing this effectively now? Are we losing ground? What does it take for Christians to be effective in shaping the culture? Or is it all too hard? And shouldn't we just leave the shaping to other religions and political ideologies? Well, a discussion today about how the Christian gospel shapes culture. And your insights are important to how our conversation develops. Our talk back line open on 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Our special guest today is Stu Miller. He is the founder of Train to Proclaim. And a special welcome back to 2020 to you, Stu Miller. Thank you, Neil. Great to be back. Stu, I know that this is a important conversation and as an evangelist, Somehow or other, there's an important place for you in all of this, but I know you've got a a bigger view because while we talk about foundations of how that transformation of culture starts, uh, there's a bigger picture picture to paint here. Uh, How do you think of, of culture and how it forms?
2: Well culture is really a culmination of uh, the individuals within that um, society and when you put all those views and the way that they view the world, all those world views together, uh, that shapes um, what we do, uh, how the, the laws that we put in place in our society, all those sort of things. So our society really is a reflection of the people in that society. So, when I view culture and culture change, I sort of view it in two ways one is is it's a collection of individuals and uh you know, if you change the hearts of individuals, then ultimately society and culture will change overall. Uh, but then there's a, a top-down gra- view, sort of looking at it corporately and looking at uh, you know uh, at the political structure and and organisations and that sort of thing, trying to make a difference at a at a corporate level as well. So there's an individual responsibility and a corporate responsibility.
1: I wonder if we were making an assessment about our culture now, because a lot of people will say, well with the yes vote getting up, mm-hmm. doesn't that make a big statement about where our culture is going, that people actually recognise that there are some changes to our culture. Things might never be the same as they were. Uh, some people might argue that what what it was wasn't great, uh, needed to be changed. Uh, mm-hmm. But ha- when we make that sort of assessment, uh, what are your thoughts about, about change and uh, how, do, how can you tell what change is good and what's not?
2: Well, I think um, fundamentally we're still in, uh, you know, the result of a, a, a Christian heritage, and our history is ma- you know, makes a massive difference to us. We, we're, we're not living in a in a third world country in, a, in a, a under Islamic rule. We're not living in a under a dictator or like communism. We're in a d- democratic society. We still have rights and freedoms that are there because of Christian principles that have been put in place. And uh, ironically, though, today we have an eroding of that Christian culture. By the people using the very freedoms that they've been given because of Christianity to erode Christian culture, so we're seeing some of the values that we hold dear uh, drop, and and it's looking more and more like a secular culture in the way uh, a lot of things are happening in our society. But I would say our bottom line, our st- still our foundation of freedom of speech and freedom of religion and and freedom, uh, you know, those freedoms that, that were put there by our forefathers uh, are Christian principles. But of course. Uh, in the future, they are definitely under threat, and we need to wake up and I think this is a great wake up call for us, and a lot of Christians are starting to to wake up and think oh my goodness we've we 've got to do something here; we cannot just carry on being apathetic and going through life and thinking it 's all okay." That word "freedom
1: is yes. coming up more and more I mean the senate is is debating. Uh, how they're going to include mm. the protection of freedoms in legislation that will go through with the same-sex marriage uh, legislation, and uh, and so freedom is a word that is on everyone's lips now. Now, uh, in some sense, on this program, we've been talking about this for years in the lead up sure. to where we are at at the moment. For some Mm. people, this is just like a new concept. Uh, Oh, I haven't heard anyone talking about freedom before. Mm. Uh, But freedom is really a part of uh, what has come from the shaping that has its Christian foundations Mm. for Australia. Uh, What are your thoughts about how freedom might have developed to a point where we have taken it for granted?
2: Well, I think that uh, we definitely have taken it for granted, and I think that freedom – uh, own you can only really be free when there are some r- restrictions there are some laws because if it 's completely lawless society that 's not free either you 're living in fear there's no there 's no boundaries at all i mean uh, I liken it to uh, you know playing rugby on the top of a massive big cliff and you know on the sideline is a is a hundred foot drop. And you're playing rugby, and then someone you know pushes someone else, and they go hurtling off over the cliff, and they fall and and kill themselves on the rocks below. Well, that's not really a, you're not, you don't really feel free to play rugby up there, do you? But if you have some walls around the edge, then the worst that can happen is you bang into the wall and you're out, and then you you throw the ball in. So laws and and things can actually help us to be free, obviously. But uh, the eroding of freedom today is. It's what right is the right right to be right with? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What freedom is the say right freedom <laughs> to give? Well, with every right that that's given, a right is taken away. For example, we say you do not have the right to murder another human being. We're going to put you in jail if you do that. You know that's one of the things in our in our law. You know you not, you shouldn't murder, and it comes from one of the Ten Commandments, of course, which are, our common law uh, is based on the Ten Commandments. Now. When you, when you say that someone doesn't have the right, that's taking away their freedom, Neil. <laughs> oh my goodness, we're, we're taking away people's freedom, but that's a good freedom to take away because they don't have the right to take someone else's life. And we would say, well, you know, with every right that's given, a right that's, a right is taken away. So your right to not be murdered is impending on someone else's right to murder you, Neil. <laughs> <Yes. So. laughs> but that's a good right. So which right is the right right to be right with? And that's the question. And so that's where it comes down for us as Christians. We say, well, look, we need a foundation for truth. We need a foundation to know what is right and what is wrong. Otherwise, it's just based on everyone's opinion and what they think is right. Right. A wonderful little illustration
1: somebody shared just recently here on 2020, the idea of swimming between the flags. Yes. And uh, the flags are in place. Everybody who's swimming between the flags has a wonderful sense of safety and freedom. Mm. Mm. Uh, But the flags are there for a purpose, and that uh, certainly uh, adds to your illustration. Sure. Uh, Let me really bring into our conversation today something very Christian. Mm -hmm. Christmas is coming.
2: Christmas is coming.
1: And uh, there's something special about Christmas that I'm sure, because it doesn't come up in too many conversations, that many Christians may have forgotten. And that is the earthquake that came on the very first Christmas day. Mm -hmm. When Jesus, that baby, was born and placed in the manger, there in the stable, uh, an earthquake happened. And it wasn't a physical earthquake. Uh, It was just the birth of a baby. Uh, But it wasn't just any baby. This was the Son of God. This was the God man, Jesus. Mm. When we talk about Christmas, sometimes we avoid or ignore, or where somehow or other we don't remember that this was God making his connection to bring about the changes, Mm. the transformation to the world. Mm. uh, And this was the moment when this happened. We call it the incarnation. Mm. God. Being born and fulfilling what had been prophesied from right at the beginning. Mm. When you think of Christmas time, mm-hmm. uh, you don't necessarily think of that as being the shaping of the culture, mm. but it really does have a foundation in shaping our culture, doesn't it?
2: Absolutely. I mean, if God did not come to earth, He would not understand. You know, well, I mean, God knows everything, but He He's demonstrated that he knows exactly what it is to be a human being like you and I and he's in, engaged in our society, in our culture developed relationships he's saying I want a personal relationship with those that I've created I'm not a distant God, I'm not on a far planet sort of looking from a distance going come on you guys, do the right thing otherwise I'm going to smite you he knows how many hairs are on our heads he, all our day, days were numbered before we were born he, he formed our inmost being, you know, he He created us in our our mother's womb. He knows us intimately. He wants a relationship with us. And when we go back to our original purpose of why he created us and we make that freedom of choice that he gave us to choose him and to choose his way and through Jesus coming and dying on the cross, coming to earth and making that way possible for us to be forgiven, and having a relationship with God through his sacrifice of his death, that we can have a relationship with him, and that transforms our society because all of a sudden we become we're followers of Jesus. We're followers of the one who knows what's best for, for our society. I mean, God's been around a hang of a lot longer than you or I have, Neil. Uh, <laughs> yes. We might think we have some wisdom, but compared to God, it's nothing. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are of higher than our thoughts and when we put our hands in his in his hand and we put uh, our lives in in his hand uh, our lives personally transform but also that is a ripple effect right out into society and that changes society others lives are changed as the power of the gospel is enacted as well
1: at that moment when the baby was born there in the stable placed mm-hmm. in the manger uh, the kingdom arrived yes. the king of kings the lord of lords was born into our realm. He was born as a human. Mm. And when we talk about an earthquake, we're talking about a cultural earthquake here. Uh, that things would never be the same again because he was come uh, to bring a different way, mm. uh, to bring a fulfillment of the law, to bring uh, an opportunity for people to be conformed now to him. And so this conformity to this perfect image of God who had come on that very first Christmas, uh, mm. this is the foundation of what we start to talk about when we discover that there is
2: a different culture that we live by. Mm. Definitely. Uh, I mean, uh, Jesus talked about how in, in the New Testament talks about how we were slaves to sin and now we're slaves to righteousness or slaves to Christ. You know, we're now no longer in the kingdom of darkness. We're in the kingdom of light. We've, uh, we've had the king of kings. Come to earth, uh, showing us a different way and, uh, and that transforms. So if we can, uh, bring God's kingdom here on earth, and that's in the, of course, in the Lord's Prayer, you know, may your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So I, I the gospel doesn't just change individual lives. It's not just about a ticket to heaven. You know, sure, we receive salvation through Jesus. We f- receive forgiveness of sins as we surrender our lives to Him, as we make that commitment to turn away from our sins. But Also, it's not just for the future and for eternity, it's about you're here for a purpose to make a difference, to transform your society, to bring God's kingdom here on earth as well. I came across a
1: quote uh, about how this cultural issue works with the gospel, and I'll pick up on this quote uh, from Tim Keller. He's quite a, a well-known uh, Christian yes. leader and author. Mm-hmm. He said, If you lose the emphasis on conversion, you'll lose the power of the gospel for personal transformation. Mm-hmm. If you lose the emphasis on the corporate, on the kingdom, you lose the power of the gospel for cultural transformation. Powerful way of just putting into place uh, two different ways that we often think about mm-hmm. culture. What are your thoughts on those those words that Tim Keller spoke?
2: Definitely. Um, you know, saying before about the individual and the in the corporate, that's exactly what uh, I would I would view as well. I think we've got to if we wanted to see society change, if we want to see God's kingdom come, we've got to head it at an individual level where we're relating and connecting with people individually, sharing the gospel with them, which is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Seeing people's lives transformed, discipling people, which ultimately permeates into society and, and has that ripple effect that we were talking about. But also we need it at a corporate level, at a church level, at a governmental level, we need to be uh, standing up for righteousness and uh, groups like the ACL and, uh, you know, Marriage Alliance and all these other groups that are, are working at those sort of levels are doing a tremendous job. Uh, as well. And, and so I think it's not either or, it's both. We've got to, as Christians, be impacting those around us, all of us involved in it. We're a team here. It's not, you can't leave it to one or two people. And then we've got other people hitting it at a more corporate level.
1: When I read a quote like that from Tim Keller, uh, to me, that reinforces that thing that I've understood ever since I first gave my life to Christ at an at age fourteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm fifty three now. It gives you an idea. You can do the maths. <laughs> but the idea of that decision that you make mm-hmm. to invite Jesus to come into your life, mm-hmm. and we could look at John chapter three and talk about a new birth because that's right. what it illustrates, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is actually so profound that we can sometimes set it aside and think that, oh, that's something I learned a long time ago and I've moved sure. on from that. I'm more sophisticated now. But actually, this <laughs> yeah. very simple way of leading people to Christ has an incredible cultural
2: formation. Oh, it absolutely does. And that's that, Jesus spent time with people individually. He spent time with groups. So he was doing the corporate thing and the individual thing. But that individual time, those times with when he went to Zacchaeus's place for lunch, and his life was changed forever. You know, uh, Mary the prostitute. You know, like you know, all these individuals. When you when you see and the impact that Jesus made by spending time with them and connecting with them, uh, their lives were changed forever. And then they went out, and of course, the twelve disciples. He individually asked them, you know, "Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men." He he called them all got together twelve very unlikely men <laughs> and those men have, have have changed the world they spent 3 years with him and he he it put it into their lives they saw the miracles they believed and they they went out 11 out of 12 of them gave their lives declaring that Jesus had risen and he's real and he can change your life and uh what an impact we have today all around the world because of that that's right it started with Jesus
1: yes. and with those Uh, illustrations, as you say, the likes of Zacchaeus, and we can probably mention a whole lot more Mm. illustrations. The woman at the well comes to mind for me. Mm. Uh, These are the initial transformations that happened as people responded to Christ Mm. and as he became their new identity As he became the one that they followed, Mm. then transformation not only of the individual, but of communities and of culture began.
0: Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Stu Miller is our guest from Train to Proclaim.
1: You can join in our conversation on 1-800-316-316. We're talking about how the gospel shapes culture. And your input is invited. 1-800-316-316. Stu, let's take a call. Isaac is on the line from The Gap in Queensland. Hello, Isaac. Welcome along. Hi there. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Isaac. What are your thoughts on our conversation today?
3: My thoughts on the conversation was, um, quoting from the Bible, um,
1: the scripture, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, I believe it. Um, Romans 138. Uh, I'm not exactly sure of the script of the exact uh, chapter and verse, but yes, I'm very familiar with the uh, the verse you're talking about. Yeah. So uh, as a contribution to our conversation, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and Stu Miller, the idea of God being unmovable, sometimes we talk about the immutability of God, that he's not going to change tomorrow from what he has said yesterday. Mm. Uh, What are your thoughts for Isaac?
2: Um, I think it's an excellent point when we're talking about culture. Um, you know, things shift in culture. You know, things change. You know, like 20 years ago, we wouldn't have had what we've just had happen. And so there's a shifting. In, and for some people who are uh, so-called progressives, um, they would say, well, this is a good thing because we're, we're evolving, we're, we're changing. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing. Uh, God is the same 2,000 years ago, and he'll be the same in 2,000 years. He, his standards and his precepts and his morals remain the same. And they are the things that are are a rock. They'll always be the same. They'll always be something that we can stand. And I think that is a fantastic thing. We don't have to be changing all the time, or always having to be doing something new or changing definitions or morals because morals don't change. If it was wrong yesterday, it's still wrong today, Neil. So uh, I think it's great that we can stand on Jesus as the rock uh, same yesterday, today and forever. Uh,
1: Isaac God. <laughs> Isaac, uh, you're uh, talking about Jesus the same yesterday, today and forever, and there is a sense yeah. isn't there, in which the timelessness, <clears throat> pardon me, the timeless values and culture that God has given to us because he's not changing, it means yeah. that those things can be appropriate across all cultures. We're talking about our Australian culture, perhaps, you know, in the context today. But in Africa or South America or mm. uh, any culture in the world throughout Southeast Asia where the gospel has that impact, it's the same God who is uh, yesterday, today and forever not changing. Uh, that's the sort of yeah. thing you were indicating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Isaac, thank you so much for your input today on 2020. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You can join our conversation. Let's talk about some of the elements of Christian culture, Stu. Mm -hmm. I know you've been thinking of recent times about uh, Christianity, the great equalizer. What Mm. do you mean by that sort of idea?
2: Well, the great equaliser, we, we, there's a lot of talk about equality at the moment, isn't there? <laughs> and, uh, well, what is equality? I mean, where, where did it come from? Why do we believe in equality? Why do we believe that women and men are equal? Why do we believe that women should have a vote? Uh, a lot of cultures, you know, particularly going back a couple of hundred years, just didn't allow that. Why do we uh, believe that slavery should be abolished? Why can't we own another human being, you know? Why are they, uh, you know, not something that can be owned? Why, why are they valuable in their own right just as much as as I am and you are? Why do we believe that every race in the world is equally important? Uh, you know, the, the whole thing of anti-racism, anti-sexism, um, you know, education for all. Why do we believe that everyone has the right to education whether they're rich or poor? These rights that we have in society are based on Jesus. Because a culture left to themselves uh, will not come to these same conclusions. The dominant will, uh, you know, dominate in that society and they will be the, the kingpin and, the, you know, the, the less dominant um, races or sexes or people in that society will be the, the ones that serve. And that's the way it naturally happens with human selfishness. But Jesus turns that all upside down. He says there's no longer Jew or Greek, there's no longer male nor female, we're all one in Christ Jesus. And that is revolutionary, really. Uh, you know, we take it for granted today, but in its time, that was like, wow. But Jesus was completely countercultural. He said, Bless those who curse you, pray for those who persecute you. You know, if you love your life, you'll lose it. If you, you know, hate your life for, for my sake in the gospel, you will gain it. He was like completely the opposite of what the world would have us believe. In fact, if we were looking back into
1: the Old Testament, which mm. is, isn't it, that, that testament of contrasts of yes. the rise of good and the rise of evil, and uh, we've got lots and lots of examples of that, and particularly if you look at the book of Judges, mm. you can see the rise of the good kings and the rise of the evil kings, and yes. and in that you can see that uh, where the good, king, the good kings arise, you've yes. got this contrast. Oh, yeah. And if we were reflecting uh, on the Old Testament, this idea of how law works when man does what's right in his own eyes because the law was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth some cultures still function with that sort of law Uh, so law was a whole lot different but things became very much turned on
2: their head when Jesus said you know I'm telling you there's a different way that's right he he, uh, gave a different way he brought in grace he says well it is just an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth but you know, if we want favor from forgiveness from God, we've got to offer that to other people as well. If you're not prepared to forgive others, your heavenly father won't be prepared to forgive you. And he brought this whole concept of, Hey, it's not just about justice and being, you know, unloving towards people. What about love and grace and blessing those who, who, who uh, persecute you, et cetera. So it's completely revolutionary.
1: Let me put you on the spot, Stuart Miller. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Because when you talk about that love, that grace, that forgiveness, that merciful approach, if we have a culture that is moving away from those Christian roots, if the church is on the nose at the moment, people are disregarding any wisdom that's coming from the church about how these things should function, Mm -hmm. uh, what would be... Uh, a possible scenario that we might be heading for. And I'll invite listeners to join in this too. Mm. Uh, Your thoughts about moving away from some of these Christian foundations of our culture because uh, the scenario that we are facing can't be good.
2: Yeah, well, I think, first of all, that there's uh, there's got to be accepting and a non-accepting of what's going on. (laughs) What I mean by that is that there's got to be an accepting that the Australian people have spoken to some degree, uh, and, you know, in regard to the last uh, plebiscite that we've been uh, referring to. Uh, and we believe in freedom of speech and freedom of, of uh, religion and freedom of conscience and the right to, you know, we don't want to imprison anyone who doesn't think like us, you know, and that's not the Christian way. And the reason that we have a democracy and we have these freedoms is based on Christian principles. But there's got to be a non-acceptance as well where we fight for righteousness and fight for what we believe is the right way uh, without denying anyone's right to disagree with us. Now, what we're seeing happen is uh, you know, there has been a very respectful, uh, to some degree, uh, debate um, from one side. And the ones that are claiming the tolerance and, and we've got equality and all the rest of it has been followed with hate. And so I think there's been a real wake up around the nation to what is actually going on. And, uh, we need to, for me, I think we, there's two very wrong things that are going on with some Christians. Some Christians are just going, hey, let's just lower our standards. Let's not stand up for righteousness, you know, because we just want to love people. And that is just wrong because we need to make a stand for for Christ. The other thing that we need to, to watch out is that we just don't come judgmental and without any love at all and just become across as an absolute bigot and, you know, in our communication and completely misrepresent Jesus and his love and his grace either. So I think in the middle, there's a balanced way. Well, uh the idea <laughs> this is this is such a big area it isn't is. it because
1: it is. uh, as I mentioned in the introduction to our conversation today uh about whether we uh, take action if we're losing ground uh, one of the things i said uh, is it all too hard and shouldn't we just leave the shaping to other religions or other political ideologies. And (laughs) you're saying the big answer, of course, is no. No. But uh, getting some meat on that uh, skeleton of idea, uh, that's going to be where the challenge is. Because uh, because while we're saying, you know, we want to love one another, uh, you just said, uh, but hang on, we've got to follow Christ. That's right. But isn't Jesus' way the way of love? And uh, I think we might be able to point to people who've been, in some ways, had the pull, uh, the wool pulled over their eyes uh, to have a misconception about what that love truly is. Mm. Well, we can invite listeners to join in this conversation. Sure. And uh, it is is—it is murky waters, isn't it? Mm. Well,
2: there's a great lie in our community, in our society, that says that if you love me, you have to agree with me. And... Let that sink in because that is just not true. My wife and I don't agree with everything each other believes or or says, but we still love each other, and nothing that she can say in disagreeing with me on a conversation will change that love that I have for her. You raise an important point about freedom of speech within
1: marriage, Mm. (laughs) because somehow or other, (laughs) that's now on shaky ground. Uh, We're going to continue our conversation. Stu Miller is our guest. We are talking about how the gospel shapes culture. Stu, let's take some calls. Uh, Wayne has been waiting patiently. Wayne in Norlunga in South Australia. Hello, Wayne. Welcome along.
3: Yeah, hello. Uh, Wayne. uh, I've just been uh, uh, meditating on the Lord's word about uh, how he says to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind and soul and might and uh, to love one another as he has loved us. And then you go back to Moses' law, which isn't actually Moses' law, it is God's law. But if you can keep uh, Christ's law, all of that law is fulfilled, because if you can do that, you've fulfilled all that law. You won't hurt anyone. You won't break any of the commandments. Uh,
2: Yep, let's get some thoughts from Stu Miller. Oh, I think that's absolutely true, Wayne. And, uh, and that's the heart, I think, of the Christian culture is loving God and loving others. It's the, the two greatest commandments. And, um, you know, it would be great. What, imagine a society that loved God and loved each other. It would be a, a very different place than we're living in at the moment. And, um, that's what we're trying to bring. We're trying to bring, uh, God's kingdom here on earth. Okay, thank you so
1: much uh, to Wayne. Uh, And uh, just to to follow on there, Uh, as followers of Christ, uh, Mm -hmm. we perceive our fundamental relationship to the transcendent God Mm -hmm. and to one another, spelled out in that biblical idea, love God with your whole heart and your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's from this base that we engage with our families and Mm -hmm. with our church Mm -hmm. and with our community and importantly here, the one we often miss, even to political influence. Mm. And when people are converted to Christ and Mm. to their neighbor in the innermost core of their being, on that deepest level of our consciousness, then culture is being created. Mm. Uh, it's, It's a profound thing to have belief in God, to be
2: a follower of Christ. In doing so, you are creating culture. Definitely, and it's that transforming work of Christ uh, in someone's life that, again, I I talk about that ripple effect. You can't keep it in there. You want to share what Jesus has done for you and the relationship we have with him with others. And when I think of loving God and loving others, I think, well, what greater way can we love other people than to share with them the way of salvation, share with them how they too can come to know the creator of the universe as their friend and their Lord, how they too can be forgiven and uh, be cleansed and, and have a relationship with God and live with him both now and forever in heaven. I mean, do we want to keep that message from people? I say no. <laughs> I say we've got to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people in the greatest way that we can love people, even though we might feel like, oh, I don't want to impose on them, I don't want to push my religion on them. If we can lovingly share that message with others, their lives can be transformed, their lives can change, and then they can have an impact on their family. They'll be the light of Christ in their family, and their oikos, their network, their, their workplace. And then it just carries on from there. Imagine every Christian in their day-to-day lives and their workplaces and schools and wherever we are, sharing the gospel, shining the light of Christ, we could absolutely transform society through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not us, but God working through us and through the power of the gospel. Thank you so much
1: to Wayne in South Australia. Let's take a call from Chris in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along.
3: G'day, Neil. Yeah, um, I just want to say I think the culture is definitely changing, especially because of the steadily uh falling away in church leadership uh church leadership is falling away just as uh, god said in the last days the end will not come unless there's a falling away the apostasy in the church um you know they're standing up for same-sex marriage i'm sure in this debate many christians would have uh, voted yes because of their, their church leaders uh, they're falling away with abortion and um, they're falling away with like you know bringing christian refugees here doing good to all people except first of the family of god and, and you know I, I, that's that's what's happening so um I think that's why the reason culture is changing.
1: Chris, a good thought, a little pessimistic, uh, because a lot of church leaders have been preaching mm-hmm. a gospel and biblical truth, mm-hmm. which has been in contrast to the way some things have been changing in our culture of late. Uh, but there may be some who are tiptoeing through the tulips and being a little bit too diplomatic without actually declaring truth. But your thoughts for Chris uh, on, on his thoughts there, Stu?
0: Yeah,
2: I think he's he's right to some some degree. There there have been some uh, you know so-called Christian leaders that have been openly standing up and uh and supporting uh, you know the yes vote and the the demoralisation of of Christian standards in our nation, and they're doing it out of so-called love, but it's not the most loving thing to do. It's never the most loving thing to do to go against what God wants for our society, because there's a reason He's put things in place, uh, and He knows better than us. and And really, to say we know better than God, um, you know, and we're going to we're going to support this, uh, you know, is is a terrible thing. And they're leading people astray. And I think, you know, that is a very, very dangerous place to be. So I think Chris is right. But I think, Chris, mainly it's it's the more liberal churches, churches that don't believe in the Bible that aren't making a stand for Christianity. The more evangelical churches are saying, no, we don't accept this at all. And there's been some very strong stands. And then there's been the the ones in in the middle that, like you were saying, Neil, that are tiptoeing through and, and really not making a stand when they really should be.
1: Illustrates the importance of having a high view of the Bible because without a high view of the Bible, you have no concept of truth. That's right. Uh, we're taking calls. Thank you so much to Chris in Victoria. Let's take a call from Chantelle in Mackay. Hello, Chantelle. Welcome along.
3: Hi. Hello. Good morning.
1: How are you today?
3: I'm well, thank you. How are you?
1: I'm good. What are your thoughts on our conversation?
3: Um, I've actually just started doing a diploma of counselling, and culture is the part of the unit that I'm on. And um, what I've been thinking about yesterday was that um, a lot of the um, Australian culture, um, you know, in the fifties was influenced by the Christian values. However, today in society, society is being more influenced through social media. Um, so the the influences on society are coming with this whole acceptance, and um, it's losing those those values um, that really uphold, you know. Um
1: Chantelle, I think you are saying yeah. that with a social media culture, uh, people have left behind some firm foundations, and some people might refer to a postmodern way of thinking which is somehow or other everybody's got their own truth and uh, everyone's truth is relevant social media does tend to exacerbate that idea Uh,
2: your thoughts for Chantel Stu I think uh, Chantel you've put an excellent um, point and that is As Christians, we've got to be looking at how can we shift culture in a whole lot of different areas. So there's not just one way of doing this and definitely looking at what influences people's lives the most. How can we get our message out there? How can we get the gospel out there? Uh, and we can't necessarily just say, well, it's just through word of mouth or it's just through, you know, preaching in a church. We've got to look at things like social media and that, which is one of the greatest influences in our society and say, well, how can we as Christians uh you know use social me- media to get the message of Christ get the truth out there uh organizations like yes he is and the yes he is app I'd encourage everyone to get that on their phone then and start posting some of the videos that they have on the app. It's a very easy way of, of sharing on, on social media. I'd encourage you to, to to use Facebook and Twitter to actually bring out some of these things and, and comment on things because unfortunately if it's the only people who are commenting are those that are a secular, a humanists uh, they're always slamming the Christian ideas. We can become very recluse and go oh I don't want to stick my neck out but we've got to be out there, we've got to be actively engaged with social media and proclaiming the truth. And, and every possible way that we can think of. So thanks so much um, for bringing that out. And uh,
1: Chantelle, the oh. idea of being a Christian social media missionary uh, isn't uh, isn't beyond the pale, is it? So uh, this is something that perhaps we need to be engaging in all the more. Yes. Chantelle? I'm
3: actually loving, yeah, no, I'm, I've, um, I'm seeing quite a lot of um, evangelism coming from the States and um, they're You know, they're just sharing the message of, you know, God is real and this is what God is doing and this is the effect that he's having on their communities. And I think what I'm quite concerned about is that I'm not seeing in, in, in my city here that same enthusiasm, um, for evangelizing. Um, and I would, but I would love to see that kind of culture here. Yes. And
1: uh, Chantel when you see those social media posts can you yes. uh you can uh, like them you can promote them you can send them on in mm. some sense you don't always have mm. to come up with the great wisdom yourself you can yes. actually promote what others are saying. <laughs> and uh, your thoughts yes. on on that idea Stu because as an evangelist you'd be looking for every method to get the word out.
2: Yeah I I think um you know your passion to see that that uh, evangelism rise up is the same as I've got we've got to get the message of the gospel out there the gospel is the power of god for salvation and all over the world millions of lives are being transformed by this amazing message you know god is using the gospel to change people's lives and when change lives change lives and so uh but we we've we've got to see a greater uh, uh you know enthusiasm it can't just come from things coming from the states in australia the church has got to rise up and i think in some ways there's been a bit of a wake up call lately uh, because of what's been going on but really we should have been waking up a lot earlier because if we want to see a harvest come We've got to plant some seeds. And it's that simple. If we don't plant the seeds, you're not going to see the harvest. You can you can water the mud, you know, the dirt as much as you want, but you're just going to get mud. We need to plant some seeds in order to see that harvest come. And uh, and we've got to do it in a variety of ways. We've got to hit it on a social media level. We've got to produce videos, put them on YouTube, and, and get them playing all around. Get them going viral. We've got to be out on the streets, you know. We've got to be knocking on doors. We've got to be connecting in our in our workplaces and our schools. We've got to talk to our Neighbors, we've got to do everything we can. We've got to use tracks or, or DVDs, or you know, there's so many different ways that we can engage in this. And if and if you're if someone's listening today and going, well, I really want to engage and, and do something to change society, or I want to change our culture, I want to get the gospel out there, but I don't really know how. There's a number of things you can do. You can go to our, our website, train We've got a number of different tools that you can utilize there, a number of different ideas. Uh, we've got a great app, Gospel and 7, which is just in the latter stage of, of uh, being updated at the moment. So if you've got the latest iPhone, you, you may find it doesn't work. But within a few weeks, all going well, that's going to be in the store. And it is a fantastic way of, of sharing the gospel with people. Gospel in seven, if you type that in at the app store. But there's, there's some great tools out there, uh, for doing this. And, and I think the biggest thing we need is we need a passion. And I'm hearing that from, from Chantal and, um, and uh, we need it from every Christian in this nation. We've got to rise up and say we've got to be activists for Christ. We've got to get the gospel out there.
1: Thank you to Chantel in Mackay in Queensland. Let's take another call. Jason is in Bow Desert. Hello, Jason. Welcome along. Hey, guys. How you going? Very well, Jason. What are your thoughts on our conversation?
3: Well, in, in the recent debate um, between the yes and no for the plebiscite, The main argument that I saw that swayed the most amount of Christians to vote yes was that love is love, and if you follow Jesus, you need to vote yes because Jesus uh, was all about love, and he always dwelt with the sinners. But I think we need to redefine what Christ's version of love is and what society's version of love is. Love uh, is—their version of love is tolerating everything, whereas if you look in the Bible, like 1 Corinthians 13— the definition the Bible gives for love is that it doesn't delight in evil mm. and that it rejoices in the truth. And, um, yeah, I think just so many Christians are confused, actually, what is love, and, and it stops us from getting out there and sharing the gospel because we think, well, we don't need to. I'm um, being perfectly loving just just letting people be as they are. Mm. But, uh, I think a real clear distinction needs to be made. What is biblical love and what is worldly love?
1: A good point to be made there, Jason. And uh, as you're saying that, uh, coming to my mind, is the contrast between the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Well, they're very, very different. We're called to be people who have the fruit of the Spirit, You know, love, joy, peace, patience, all of those things. But if we were contrasting those to the fruit of the flesh, well, that's what everybody's saying. Oh, love is love. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just do all the fruit of the flesh. And then you've got Jesus who said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Mm. And uh, those were reflective and even going back into the Ten Commandments, but all of the things that Jesus said, even at the Sermon on the Mount. But uh, your
2: thoughts for Jason, uh, Stu? I think Jason's absolutely right. And, um, you know, the most loving thing that we can do for people is not to just accept what they're saying and not object to it and not disagree with them because that's not love. Love is standing up for uh, for righteousness it 's standing up for the best way possible, the best thing for people is to hear the Gospel and to have their lives transformed for them to be to to receive salvation through Jesus Christ and to to live life god 's way because it is the best way that they can possibly live. but in order to share that message, it will challenge people 's worldviews and that can be uncomfortable and somehow. And I'm getting this from Jason as well, is that we've got this concept that if you make someone uncomfortable, you're being a, a, unloving or you're being in, intolerant. And that just is not true. It's not true at all. Again, you know, there's a great lie that says, if, you know, in order to love me, you've got to agree with me. And that's just not true. We should be disagreeing with people in a loving way, having robust debate, have it, sharing the gospel, sharing a better way with people. Because if we care about people, We want to see that life transformation in their life.
0: Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision.
1: Stu Miller, let me bring you back to that quote that I mentioned uh, earlier on in our conversation. Uh, one that seems to sum up the challenge that is before us. Uh, it was a t- quote from Tim Keller who wrote, if you lose the emphasis on conversion, you lose the power of the gospel for personal transformation. And then he says, if you lose the emphasis on the corporate, on the kingdom, you lose the power of the gospel for cultural transformation. Mm. It does take things to a new level when we talk about how the foundations, if they're in place, will bring about this cultural transformation. Mm. Uh, what are your thoughts as we uh, just sort of draw some loose ends together fairly quickly?
2: Well, I think, um, you know, if we were talking about a plan of action, you know, what can I do? I think um, the, the quote from Tim, Tim Keller is perfect. We, we can, on an individual level, we can, number one, we can live a life that represents Christ well. We can respond to the issues in society with love and grace, but also with truth uh, and standing up for righteousness. Uh, number two, we can share the gospel with people because we know it's the power of God for salvation. We know that you know we don't need to invent our own way of changing the world. Jesus has told us the best way to do it. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And if you don't know how to do that, we'll give you some uh, resources in just a minute about how you can actually be involved. The third thing is um, on a corporate level, what can we do to support those organisations that are actually making a difference uh, in the political realm? Uh, you know, in in the in regards to abortion, you know, all these different issues. There are organisations, fantastic organisations, that are out there working to bring about God's kingdom and to change laws and to make a better society from the top down. So I think we've got to work from the bottom up and the top down, and we hit it at every le- level. Neil. <laughs> And
1: running out of time, let's talk about resources. We mentioned the Gospel in Seven app, and uh, simply Google Gospel in Seven, and uh, that means just
2: just put it. Go to your app store and type in Gospel I N and the number seven, and it'll pop and it'll come up.
1: And uh, and uh, some other resources, even ones that are available in the Vision Store, which uh, come from. Uh, your organisation, Train to Proclaim.
2: Uh, One of those uh, is a DVD series. That's right, yes. Uh, Reaching people you don't know. How to bring Christ to your community without bringing a a crisis to your church. So uh, that's all about reaching your community for Christ and that's a great uh, DVD to get for yourself, for your pastor, uh, for others in your church and to uh, to help you get some resources in your hands to make a difference in your community.
1: Uh, you can search the Vision Store, and there'll be lots of other resources in there as well. And uh, to Google Train to Proclaim, yes, uh, people will be able to see your website, and there are resources there, free
2: downloadable resources yes. that will help people take a next step. Absolutely, yeah. There's a number of different uh, resources you can get. You can download there's, uh, there's, uh, programs for your computer, for Mac and PC. There's, uh, there's tracks. There's all sorts of different things and you can download them and print things off or, uh, use them. There's, there's DV, uh, videos that you can use. You can upload to your website, your church website. You can, Post on uh, social media uh, on youtube uh, channels there's a whole lot of ways that you can communicate the gospel and free resources everything's free obviously if there's something printed we've got to charge you for it but otherwise we just give it away for free but uh, just just don't don't be discouraged with the app if you can't download it right now just keep it in mind and download it in a, in two or three weeks time we're hoping that we're at the end of of getting this done and the new apps. Absolutely fantastic. It's okay. looking great. Yep, and uh,
1: so being upgraded, uh, you're also available, Stu, if people want to uh, have you at a seminar in yes. their church, uh, just get in touch through the Train to Proclaim website, train Dot com. com, yes. Train proclaim.com Stu Miller, always a pleasure. Thanks for being with us again today on 2020.
2: Thank you, Neil.